If you've ever wondered why your cat keeps doing that thing, you know, that thing I'm talking about, then Online Behavior Day might be the conference for you. Join us for in-depth discussions and FAQs with expert consultants Pam Johnson-Bennett, Tabitha Cusera, and Dr. Rachel Geller, and Arden Moore on Saturday, April 9th. Visit communitycatspodcast.com to learn more and register today. You've tuned in to the Community Cats Podcast. Ready? Let's go. Welcome to the Community Cats Podcast. I am your host, Stacey LeBaron. I've been involved helping homeless cats for over 20 years with the Merrimack River Feline Rescue Society. The goal of this podcast is to expose you to amazing people who are improving the lives of cats. I hope these interviews will help you learn how you can turn your passion for cats into action. And today I'm speaking with my great friend, Tracy Hotchner, who is the radio pet lady. She is the Radio Pet Lady Network. It's a pet talk radio network with a dozen delightfully informative radio programs, which is co-hosted by Tracy with top veterinarians and other pet experts. The shows are accessible from any computer, mobile device, and can be heard on iTunes and Stitcher, and also can be uh, downloaded directly from her website. Tracy, I'd really like to welcome you to the show. Stacy, I'm so delighted to be here. I so admire the work you've been doing. You are so creative, and you've created this platform for everybody, from the large, the small, all of them cat lovers, to feel their feelings and express their ideas and inspire each other. It's amazing. And you do those conferences. I I think you're the bomb. I really do. I love what you're doing. It's terrific. Well, Tracy, thank you so much for that. I appreciate it. And it's very ironic how we sort of found each other through cats and then we ended up playing tennis together. So, (laughs) I mean, how odd that we're both from this bizarre state of Vermont. You know, so tell me a little bit about yourself and cats. I know you have some dogs, but I know you are also a very passionate cat lover. How did you become passionate about cats? It was through dogs, oddly enough. I had a contract with a publisher to write the dog Bible, everything your dog wants you to know. And my editor was a cat lover. She still is a cat lover. And she said, okay, while you're working on this, could you also start thinking about the cat Bible? And quite frankly, I said, I'm not sure I know enough to write the cat Bible, but honestly, I didn't know enough to write the dog Bible because if you're going to write a reference book that has absolutely everything in it, nobody has absolutely everything in their head to begin with. So I always take the position, I know nothing, I'll start from zero and start building a kind of a a mental library of what there is to know. So when I wrote The Cat Bible, which the subtitle was Everything Your Cat Expects You to Know, I was really amazed at not just all the aspects of happy, good things about cats, but all the sad things about how they aren't really respected, particularly the ones that are unhomed, which are the ones you're most interested in generally. And I I thought that elevating their status in society and having people understand and respect them more And then later, I began to feel the same way about homed cats, that they need a lot more respect and a lot more empathy for for their sort of trapped life. It became very, very rewarding to me, even more than with dogs. One of the funny things about dog people versus cat people, which you cat lovers will certainly laugh at, but you wouldn't necessarily know this, is that dog people think they know everything already. Every single dog person, because they had a dog when they were a kid, 
and they kind of know what a leash is and a bowl. So they think they know everything about dogs because they taught their dog to sit when they were 11. Cat people are way open-minded. Really? Dry food is bad for cats? I never knew that. Oh, explain that to me. Oh, that makes sense. Okay, I promise I'll only feed wet food. Oh, cats need to interact. Oh, cats don't need to live with many other cats. Whatever information I've been able to bring to people, cat people are very open to it. They'll try it. They're interested. I tell them about Necoflies toys back when that was a brand because they were more realistic. People said, great. Yes, I get it. Fishing pole toys should be realistic. So I find that as an audience, as a constituency, the cat lovers are more open-minded, more intellectually curious, and more appreciative of what I do and what you do. So it's very rewarding. I I stumbled into having a live weekly call-in show on Sirius for seven and a half years called Cat Chat, which I produced, created, hosted. I had free reign. And so I had people from every single state calling in every Wednesday with questions and conversations and feelings that they wanted to express about their cats or about other people in their family who didn't like the cat, whatever it might have been. So I really got to know cat lovers in this country in a way that was a a real joy to be able to have live radio when people could just call you and talk to you and I could say anything I wanted because other than them, the people at Sirius weren't really necessarily listening. It was Martha Stewart's channel and she had cats but was happy for me to be the expert. She was busy, you know, cooking or something. So I I guess I've I fell into cats very deeply originally, and the same thing happened with the Cat Film Festival. I started a dog film festival, never crossed my mind that there could have been movies about cats. There would have been enough of them to make a whole festival of short films about cats. And the dog film festival was incredibly successful immediately, which was peculiar because I didn't know anything about putting on a festival. I'd come from the movie business for many years, but not curating and putting together a film festival in New York City in a giant theater. And honestly, it was Gina Zaro, who is some of the brains behind Precious Cat, which was one of my sponsors on radio, who said, if you ever wanted to do a cat film festival, like the film Keddy, but short films, we would back it. And I said, sure, I'll try. But I thought, uh, you know, it isn't going to work if I can't get enough content how many people are making a movie about a cat? How can you teach a cat to do something in a movie that then becomes a story? Well, I mean, it was immediate. People just submitted their films. There was nothing on the internet other than cat videos, which I don't care for myself. I find them denigrating to cats. Myself, that's just me. There was there were no films out there. It's not like you could write to a filmmaker and say, oh, I saw your film on YouTube. The the only film I could find that had been made about cats, purpose-made film, was from something like 1940. It was some ancient black and white film. Hmm. Put the word out, again, just mildly, not loudly. And we just had the fourth annual Cat Film Festival in New York. It sold twice as many tickets as the Dog Film Festival, as it has every year in New York. And then it traveled. And then, of course, COVID has shut down the theaters. So I'm investigating a way to make it available to people without going into a theater. But it's tricky because people say, oh, that'd be great. Yes, you should stream that on Netflix. Well, Netflix doesn't want your film or my film. They're making their own films. So I'm in the process of inventing with another company that is a nonprofit pet film company 
to find a way to get the Cat Film Festival to people and have it be, if possible, a fundraiser for rescues and shelters, if possible. But who knows? So far, it's just in the infancy of figuring this out. But this is 2022. And while we're all going to learn to live with COVID and and it will eventually be something we can live with rather than die from, who knows what will happen to theaters. Independent theaters were already in tremendous trouble well before COVID. But people still want filmed entertainment and cat people really want to see these movies. They're pretty fabulous, I have to say. I didn't make them so I can say that. All I did was find them and put them together in a two-hour program. So I guess that's a very long answer about me and cats, but I still have cat chat. I rec- When Martha Stewart's channel was canceled, which is the only reason I went off the air, I didn't want to lose the ability to talk to cat lovers. So I created it as a podcast many, many years ago before people knew what a podcast was. People really didn't know what it was. You try to explain it and they couldn't understand the idea of it. It was just peculiar to people. They, they weren't familiar with it yet. So I've been doing it first with Dr. Elizabeth Hodgkins, so it was quite medically oriented, although we did talk behavior. And I've had a variety of people that I either interview or authors, and sometimes I've had guest co-hosts. And the last whole stretch of time has been about behavior with Dr. Michael Maria Delgado out of San Diego, who's a cat behaviorist a brilliant, very cool woman. And so we mostly talk about environment and behavior. And we do that every week. And guess who's the only sponsor of that radio show? Precious Cat. It's an amazing company. I just have to say that. If you use litter because you have indoor cats, I really recommend that you use any of the many, many, many different formulated litters that Dr. Elsie personally has created. He's a scientist, but also a feline specialist veterinarian. It's the only privately owned company of litter. All the others are owned by major corporations, and he's very mindful of the planet, but mostly of what cats like and need. And he gives away a lot of money and a lot of litter to all kinds of shelters and rescues. So they're very good people, and they really believe in what I do, which is Try and find the truth and tell you the truth and support people in their efforts to live happily with their cats, whether their cats are out in the garden or inside their house. So that is my very long story. Yeah. So, Tracy, I want to go back, back in the beginning of your story there where you're talking about your desire to really have the cat status elevated in our world. And we've had a couple of conversations around the importance of the words that we use. And we're both on podcasts, you're on radio, we, you know, we have our educational programs, we write blogs, we're out there. I'm always worrying about the words that I use. I want to treat all folks, all cats, all people. I mean, just want to make sure that I'm not doing any harm for anyone out there as we're out there in that public space. And what's your take with regards to trying to help us as a community sort of raise that level of cats? More people own cats than dogs, I think, now in many communities. You know, why are we always trying to keep lifting ourselves up, lifting our cats up, lifting our ideas and impressions? Are we not using the the right words? Are we presenting cats in the wrong way? And how can we help the situation? That's a really interesting idea. 
I think for the cats who don't live in people's homes, which is the majority of cats in the world, and apparently, technically, the majority of dogs in the world too, which is a separate issue, I think that because they aren't under the control and domination of people, the ones who aren't living in a home, that they're a, they feel not exactly a threat to our supremacy as humans, as two-legged people, but maybe. Maybe people just, in general, not so comfortable with the idea that animals could thrive and survive and have a whole life that's mysterious and separate from us and survive even bad weather and not a good food or water source and predators because community cats have to live with all that, and yet they still thrive. And I think that there may be just a human brain idea that somehow they should be put in their place. So we could just look at them like rats that run around or squirrels that run around or pigeons that run around, these sort of wilder animals, and treat them as kind of a nuisance and something for us to control, maybe exterminate, but basically put in a much lower rung than those that live in our homes. So I think that that may be socially one of the problems. I think that cats may be from I don't remember too much about cats in cartoons when we were growing up. Now, I'm a baby boomer. You're younger than me. And I don't know what kids are seeing today in cartoons, whether it's Disney or something else about cats. But cats were seen as always waiting by the mouse hole. And they were going to, they always, Tom and Jerry, they had a, a thing with the mice. I don't know. Did that make cats seem smart and good or evil and wicked? And cats and birds, you know, that's a whole nother issue in some communities. People seem to think that cats are killing all the songbirds. It's really our pesticides, so we, that's a whole nother conversation. And also environment for where these poor birds could live. I guess it's that they've been treated as kind of, hmm, maybe slightly villainous, but that's because they're seen as clever. It kind of like, you know, with a long cigarette holder and and, and a kind of puffing on the cigarette and like they've got everything figured out, which on some levels they kind of do. I think that in terms of words that we use to describe them, and I know you're going towards that recent British study that I did a number of interviews about and wrote about as well, and Dr. Michael wrote about as well, and we even were asked to write for Mark Beckoff's Psychology Today column about it, and he got tens of thousands of views and looks. That was a study in which cats, the word psychopaths was used, and then many other ridiculously negative words were used about cats, owned cats, loved cats, using horrible words. I think that there's sort of a license to do that, and I don't know exactly where that came from. I don't think that those of us on the cat side of the space have ever spoken ill of cats. I mean, we might call a cat a scaredy cat, more fearful, more cautious, but we would never use words that are totally pejorative. And, you know, if, if kittens have zoomies, would we ever call that psychopathic? Would we ever call a kitten zoomie any kind of psychological human pejorative word? I don't think so. I mean, I had a cat that I tried to adopt in Rome once who was a street kitten. And he would go – it was very high ceilings in this marvelous apartment. And he would go straight up to the ceiling on the on the curtains. But I never called him crazy. 
I never said, gee, that cat's a psychopath. I said, well, that kitten's full of beans and doesn't want to be in this apartment. He wants to be out on the street. So I don't think that it's we who are using inappropriate words. And I do think that this study that was done in Liverpool and the the gal that I interviewed was a, a doctoral candidate named Rebecca Evans. And she had no idea what I was going to say to her in the interview. And frankly, neither did I know what I was going to say other than to say, why would you choose such horrible human psychology words to depict cats as so negative? Does anybody in your study, do you people know anything about cats? Do you own cats? Oh, yes, we all know and love cats. So I guess the words I used with her, I was cautious and careful because I don't want, didn't want her to feel belittled. On the other hand, anyone who does that needs to be called out. Anyone who thinks they can make mock of an animal or a species and apply a doctoral candidate peer-reviewed study that is full of bogus ideas, they have to be called out. I mean, I think that's anyone in a position, I have an NPR show called Dog Talk and Kitties Too, and that's kind of handy when you say NPR, because then all kinds of people will say yes to being on your show. They say, oh, I love NPR. I say, oh, that's good. Let's talk. And then depending on what it is they want to talk about, I just tell it like it is, because that's what I do. As someone who's juggling it all, trying to keep people and pets together, you need easy access to resources to help you do just that. That's where Maddie's Pet Forum comes in. From adoption SOPs to TNR guidelines, you'll find it all. Have you joined yet? It's free. Visit forum.maddiesfund.org slash cats today. Could your animal welfare organization use a tune-up? Humane Network can help. You can get a free 30-minute consultation to talk through your challenges and get ideas on how your organization can be more successful with less stress. From board development and fundraising to strategic planning and operations, Humane Network has got you covered. Whether you are a large or small, nonprofit or government, it's a live and thriving program led by a certified animal behavior consultant features specially designed training for shelter and clinic staff on enrichment, stress reduction, safe animal handling, and behavior modification. With Humane Network, you receive individualized advice and support customized to meet your organization's unique needs. And Humane Network can lighten your load by taking on fundraising, communications, and other tasks you struggle with. Contact Humane Network today for a free 30-minute consultation. Visit humanenetwork.org. That's humanenetwork.org. If you're running a rescue, you're probably overloaded with tons of tasks pulling you in even more directions dog and cat intakes, volunteers to communicate with, fosters to find and pass info to, and don't forget about managing the all-important donations. It's easy to become overwhelmed, miss critical information, and worst of all, lose volunteers. Buzz to the Rescues offers an integrative platform that can help you gain back your time, streamline your workload, and clearly communicate with everyone on your team. Learn more at www.rescueyourrescue.com and gain back your peace of mind today. I found, I don't know how many people in the lay world, non-academic world, had heard about this study, but it was full of questions, a questionnaire, and they apparently questioned hundreds, maybe even a thousand or more, I forget the number of British cat-owning people to ask all kinds of questions about their behavior, and then they would tag them as more or less psychopathic, a word that really 
doesn't even belong applied to people until they're diagnosed with emotional, psychological problems, much less to cats who are just being cats, a little aloof, perhaps, or a little hidey-hole when somebody comes to the door, all kinds of behavior that was really odd. Did they like high places? That was a sign they were trying to dominate you and therefore were psychopathic. I think that when people use really negative words, we need to help correct them. I don't know if it's exactly like you know, racism, where you have to call somebody out for being racist, but maybe speciest, that people might speak ill of cats because they don't understand them. Is that something you've encountered? I haven't encountered it much. Just that one study really struck me as vile. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that I try to be really careful with, too, is keeping everything very focused and as I don't want to, I'm not using, I'm using simple in the word of just a few words at a time. So use the same messaging over and over again, because, you know, at the end of the day, life really isn't that complex, really. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> and so just trying to keep things focused and people like to use different words for the same thing. You know, so we, spay neuter our cats. We sterilize our cats. We fix our cats. Right. We have to find out what sort of language is best understood in our communities and and just try and stay with it. And it doesn't have to be TNR or TNVR or Mm -hmm. TNRM. So just try and not confuse everybody. And let's just stay with the same words and not change things every six months and, and not try and speak at you know, what we think of as a higher level than somebody else. And so just trying to keep things as as simple and straightforward and transparent. And we are who we are. We have a common love, common bond, common theme around cats. And we all want to do what's best for them and make their lives better as well as our lives because they enrich our lives. And so just try to always keep it really simple. And I, I found in listening to your podcast with regards to that particular story there was like this making of nonsense and I hate yes. to say it and I don't I mean in a bad way, but I just was like, where's value here? Where's my value add? I don't mm-hmm. see it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I felt like there was more harm than good done with regards to that. So, um, and yet that- lemonade and lemon, I went after her full bore and then because I did, Mark Beckoff, who's got a huge audience as an ethologist, he studies animals, dogs are his specialty. Coyotes or wolves used to be back in the day. He's a professor in Colorado and a real animal welfareist. Um, he picked up on it and said that the hair stood up on the back of his neck when he first saw my weekly newsletter that described that conversation and that show. And I just back and forth with him like I do with you, you know, emails back and forth, sharing a couple of quick ideas. He said, Would you? write, you know, an interview, do an interview for my Psychology Today column. And I was like, yeah, but let me do it with Dr. Michael, because she can use the bigger words, right? Mm. I use the direct words. So like with feeding cats, I've always said, dry food is kitty crack. That's not a compliment. Crack is addictive and harmful and will kill you if you're a human. And it will kill a cat to eat dry food. So I've always used that term, kitty crack. I think it's good to use the same terms over and over if they're effective and if they're heard and understood as such. So you're right. TNR, 
that can be threatening to people that don't know what trap, neuter, return is, or is it trap, neuter, release? You know, oh, what does the R stand for? But really, community cats who are sterilized and inoculated and looked after by people in the community, sometimes you have to use all those words to explain it to people who aren't in that in that stratosphere. You know, otherwise it sounds like something exotic, right? Or right. as you said, fixed by five. Now that's a brilliant idea that she had to come up with the phrase fixed by five, because at five months, every kitten can reproduce that young. But is sterilize a good word or is spay neuter a good word? You're right. Does everyone understand that all those words mean the same thing and have the same importance? I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, I think it's it's very hard to really understand, you know, who your audience is, who you're who you're chatting with. Yes. Um, and I think most of the folks that I've spoken with, including like Sterling Davis and others that are out there in the field trapping, they're basically say, I will say whatever it takes in order to get that cat in the trap and get right. that cat to the clinic. Right. So if right. they want me to say something about Purple, I'll say something about purple if it means they'll give me permission to get those cats trapped. Yeah. And so, you know, it's at the end of the day, we'll do whatever we need to do in order to, you know, get the help for those cats in the in the community. But I think there is also a level of understanding that, you know, neighbor to neighbor is a great advocate, um, you know, for cats in the community too. So you want to make sure that all the neighbors know what's going on and what's happening and understanding. Um, we, we talk to so many people in our, our monthly trapper certification workshops. I mean, 70% of the people that attend those workshops are just trying to trap cats in their own backyards. So this is not a big picture. Thing. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's all about just the cats in their backyard. And I say just as with a very capital just, sure. because it's still a huge project to most people to, to trap four to six cats in your backyard. It's a huge endeavor it is. to do that, especially if you're having to pay for those surgeries yourself too. But it's important. It's really important. I think we just have to be really careful listening. So trying to listen to what others are saying too and trying to be able to relate with folks on a one-to-one level is really important. And you mentioned that earlier too, which is like trying to not talk from above, but try and just be collaborative and a partner and a neighbor and even though we might be virtual neighbors, we want people to feel comfortable with the conversation. And I think it's great. You had that radio show. People were able to call into you every week and ask you so questions cool. because it's a very isolating world, too. There are a lot of people who feel like they're isolated when they're caring for their cats or trying to trap them at 2 o'clock in the morning and that kind of thing. And to be able to have an avenue to be able to call in for support for your pets, is it's just huge. It's huge, Tracy. The, the things that you have done over the years – You've been way ahead of your time, and it's, I mean, as you said, podcast. People didn't know what a podcast was, and they still don't. Sometimes they'll be like, what's a podcast? They yep. still don't. Is it a webinar? What is exactly. that? Exactly. And, and older they, people have no idea how to access it. Older yeah. people like my age or even some people in their 60s. I mean, it's just really interesting. They have no idea. And I'll bet you there's millennials who don't really know how to go to Spotify and look for a show mm. about cats. They've got what they've got on their feed, whatever that feed is, right? Their social media universe. But they don't know how to step outside it and discover the richness that's out there, the number of other ways that they can get information and even get entertainment. And maybe the two can go hand in hand. When when my show, when the channel, the Martha Stewart channel went off of Sirius, I immediately tried to 
come up with a way to have a live show. And we actually put together an ent- it was unbelievable commitment that unfortunately fizzled to put together an entire network isn't even the right word. We had an 800 number and we used a company that had a radio 24-hour radio call in but it was kind of kind of rinky dinky but mm. we had to use their something for the FCC or the FAA or I don't know what and it was impossible because how could I let people know that I'd be on at the same time I had never collected emails because I never understood the value of that in the sort of 90s so I couldn't email all the people that used to listen to me on Sirius and say same time, 8 o'clock East, 5 p.m. West, you can call me on this number. How did you, I didn't know how to do that. There was no way to do it because anyway, I wasn't going to spend the whole show every week Say, send me your email address in case this doesn't work out here. I would love to do it again. I mean, maybe there's a way to figure it out. You have very open doors to people being on your podcast. Maybe there's a way. I mean, technology just you know leaps and bounds at all times. Maybe there's a way to have a live show. On, on some sort of a server at a certain time. Right. All right. No, it's a great idea. And, and maybe, hopefully, maybe Tracy, you and I, we can, we can make something like that happen. It would be great. It would be. If folks are interested in finding out more about your shows and the Radio Pet Lady Network, how would they do that? Just go to radiopetlady.com and all the shows are there and you can click to, I recommend signing up for the newsletter only because every week there's a description of Dog Talk and Kitties 2 and a description of Cat Chat with a nice picture. Descriptions like three lines long, but you can click right there to listen. So if you want to do it that way and just make it easy on yourself, you just go to radiopetlady.com and sign up for the newsletter. And then every week you get all that's on it is a description of the shows. So that's handy. Or if not, there's a podcast library. And the podcast library of the NPR show, Dog Talking Kitties 2, has, I think, 775 shows in it. So if you don't have much to do with your time or you do a lot of laundry, you could download as much as you want and listen to shows going way back. I mean, one of my original shows with Jackson Galaxy with people, you know, we're talking 14 years ago. It's pretty funny to see how people haven't changed in a good way or have grown in another way. So that's the best way to do that. Great. Hey, Tracy, is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners before we close out today? Nothing other than I really appreciate what you're doing and the fact that you have this wonderful platform to encourage everybody to work together and come together around cats. I think it's terrific. And let's see if you and I can't stir up a little girl trouble and make ourselves <laughs> some kind of a live something that that works in the modern world. That would be really fun. That'd be great. Tracy, I want to thank you so much for being a guest on my show. And I know we'll have you on again in the future. And uh, folks, if you can, please consider sharing this podcast with others. I'd greatly appreciate it. Have a great week. That's it for this week. Please head over to Apple Podcasts and leave a review. We love to hear what you think. And a five-star review really helps others find the show. You can also join the conversation with listeners, cat caretakers, and me on Facebook and Instagram. And don't forget to hit follow or subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, YouTube, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss a single show. Thanks for listening, and thank you for everything that you do to help create a safe and healthy world for cats. Wow.